The Sacred Changemakers podcast is supported by Coaches Business School, helping the world's most caring coaches build a purpose-driven and profitable business that makes a meaningful impact in our world. Check out their unique frameworks and methods to help you transform and grow your business. Now is the time to build a bridge from what you want in life to include what the world needs. You can do well in business and do good, and together we can make a meaningful difference. Find out more at coachesbusinessschool.com. Hey there, welcome back to the Sacred Changemakers podcast. Now our guest on the podcast today is Faith Fuller. She's a PhD, PCC, and an ORSCC. Now, Faith co-created the first ICF accredited systems coaching program and is a founder and past president of CRR Global. She's a coach and consultant and is currently completing a book that will be out later this year called Relationship Matters. Faith believes the next path of evolution for humanity is getting better at relationships rather than just adding on more technology. She tries to live a life from the principle that everything that happens to us has something important to offer our development and personal growth. And you're going to hear a lot about this in our conversation today, as she is currently on a deeply personal learning path with stage four cancer. Our conversation today goes into unknown territory, the things that we don't often speak about in modern society. You know, we don't tend to talk about death and loss and endings. And we're going to be talking about those things today in the context of our title for today's conversation, which is This Change is Everything. Now, I've heard it said in many wisdom traditions that death has so much to teach us about life. And I know that to be true from my own experiences but faith has so much to share, so many insights that we can use in our everyday lives. And I'm talking here both personally and professionally as sacred change makers. So I encourage you to listen deeply to this conversation. It has so much grace and wisdom to help you face your own endings and maybe even help you when death arises for you or maybe for someone that you love. And don't just listen to the words here. Feel into the energy of what is being conveyed because it holds many gifts for you to contemplate in terms of your own relationship with life. So it's my honor and my pleasure to introduce you to Faith Fuller. Hey, Faith, welcome to the Sacred Changemakers podcast. Thank you, Jane. I'm excited to be here. We've had such great conversations in the past. Let's do some more. <laughs> yeah, and let's do this so that other people can listen in. That'll be really fun. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so, um, you know, our listeners, they've just heard your professional bio. So they've got a sense of who you are and what it is that you're up to in the world. But before we kind of launch into our conversation, I'd love you just to kind of take us a little bit behind the scenes here and let us into, you know, who is the real life human behind the bio? Who is she? Right. Well, that's a great question because I would say I'm in a big transition right now. And that is while remaining myself, and interested in everything, 
my focus has shifted a little further away from what I would call my professional self, you know, the coach, consultant, teacher, uh, designer. And um, since I'm in the middle of, of a cancer journey, I'm very um, taken up with the power and possibilities inherent in a um, severe illness journey and all the possibilities that are inherent in that that we don't usually talk about. So that's probably the biggest change. Mm, and I love how you frame that. Because, you know, for many of us listening, in some ways, you're living through something that for many of us is our biggest fear in life. You know, we, we, yeah. we, we, I think most of us know someone who's been through cancer, but the way you framed that there, it wasn't with shock and horror and tragedy, you know, which so many conversations around cancer are, but it was about potential and possibility. So can you tell us a little bit more about that and your relationship with it? I'm really happy to. Um, I think that talking about dying is one of the last great taboos, you know. Mm. It's, it's certainly not sex anymore. We can talk about pretty much anything, <laughs> you know. And, um, but death and taxes, as they say, are still somewhat taboo. So what that means is we don't have much in the way of role models. Uh, you know, we don't. There are a few people um, that I think can give us pointers along the path of how to continue to evolve straight through to death. Uh, so the idea that somehow that your your life ends when you get a terminal diagnosis or even in the last stages of dying, that you're, it's sort of all over, I think is absurd. In fact, uh, the teachers that do point the way, like Kathleen Singh, that you and I have mm -hmm. talked about, uh, The Grace and Dying, her book, they are the people that are pointing out that at the time of severe illness and dying, is the opportunity for the greatest opening into personal transformation that we may ever have. So I'm finding the whole journey absolutely fascinating. Not always easy. Mm -hmm. um, I would say that uh, illness and injury um, are rough allies. Mm -hmm. uh, it's shamanic. You have to give in and go with it um, because you can't stand against it. It's too strong. And I know, Jane, you've got some history of this with some of your own experience. And so if you want to share a little bit, and, and in your case, it was an accident or, or not quite an accident, but, uh, you know, yeah, a, an injury. A, yeah, an injury. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. And it, it's it's so interesting because, you know, I, w I was actually reflecting on this yesterday after our conversation and thinking that. For me, it was 20 years ago when all of this happened, right? And I was given a terminal diagnosis, actually, I think it was in, two th I was actually given the diagnosis in 2004, although the injury happened in 2001. And after the initial shock and trauma and horror of thinking, because I still had very young children, so thinking that I was going to leave those behind, you know, there was kind of like an opening that happened for me, it was almost like, well, even though, you know, this is the story that the doctors are telling me, and I did see it and frame it in those terms, this is the best that they can give me, this doesn't have to be how my story ends. Now, yeah. it didn't mean I had any certainty in that space, it just meant I had nothing to lose. And so yeah. for me, yeah. then it was really about a little bit like what you're describing, but 
not with the joy and initially anyway not with the joy that you're kind of I can feel in your energy as you're talking about there's some kind of I don't know there's more of an optimistic curiosity for you that I'm feeling for me the pain was overwhelming so I really know what you mean about you know kind of like I don't know kind of pain and illness is not being great I don't know what you said but for me it's like not great bedfellows that's what they felt like at the time (laughs) um and so you know it's interesting because for me that was then and now I feel in a very different space and it's almost like I feel like I've been for a while I think back then I was really curious really like edge walking all the time into the uncertainty, not knowing how anything was going to come out. And I think now, because 2011 was when I was supposed to die. That was the date they gave me, the average date they gave me. And so now it's like, well, that was then. And obviously, so listen to this, obviously they were wrong because obviously I've gone back to my certainty now. And I've kind of moved away from it. And in conversation with you again, it's brought me back into this awakening space, this awareness of what did I learn from that? What are the insights that can keep me present today? Keep me in the uncertainty? Because actually there's a lot of kind of, I don't know, there's a lot of life force in that space that I think we can almost get numb to yes in the routines of everyday life (laughs) I I completely agree it takes a threat to make us aware of what we might lose yeah and I you know and I just want to say this as an aside uh, because back when you got that diagnosis you had small children and that's a whole other game yeah I can't even imagine I you know I don't want to be uh, sanguine about oh the fabulousness of it you know of a terminal Mm -hmm. illness oh no Uh, No. you know it's not fabulous it's painful it's difficult but if I had small children, I'm sure I would be racked with a great deal yeah. more agony about yeah. their uh, their future. And, but um, I also want to say that walking a path of loss of almost any kind mm. um, is one that I think shakes us to our core and breaks up that certainty. Yeah. So if, uh, and the thing about loss, whether it's health or a death in the family, searingly awful, um, and it breaks up everything. You know that changes mm-hmm. everything. It breaks up all your certainty, your sense of the preciousness and vulnerability of life. Um, and um, whenever you are broken uh, and you manage to keep moving, usually I believe there is some kind of evolution that arises. Uh, from that re that breaking we have to reassemble ourselves with the wisdom that yeah, came yeah. from that experience um so i think what i what i long for around the areas and you know of death and dying is that people have the chance to view it as a spiritual path as an existential growth opportunity because it's a terrible shame to to waste this yeah. profound experience you know, and spend your time whinging about it. <laughs> Sorry. Well, I'm going to speak back to you. <laughs> you know, but but in between whinging, there's fabulous things that you learn about and that occur. So it's not all. Um, difficult it's growth. not. 
And I read your article on LinkedIn. So I, you, you said something because you've said some things there that are incredibly profound. And I think I've actually got a quote in front of me from your article. These are your words. And I think that in a way, this kind of frames like what you're talking about, because I found your article to be really moving. And, you know, I don't often feel very moved on LinkedIn. So that was great <laughs> as well. So, but here's what you said. You said, death is harrowing, but it can also be deepening. Look into the abyss of loss brings the unexpected. And sometimes we don't have a choice, but we do always have a choice around how we want to be with it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I said that. That's great. <laughs> you did. But you see, for me, that goes wider, Faith. It's yeah. not just about the death and the loss, right, in life. Yeah. It's yeah. also about the positives and the awe and the life and the, the vitality. Like every morning, what is it that gets us out of bed in the morning? Feeling that vital life force, right? Yes. You know, and, and what is it? How do we frame our lives who do we think we are who do we think we're not what do we think this day is going to bring what do we think it's not going to bring all of these things we do at an unconscious level and I yeah. think that's why when something like when life throws us a curveball like what we're talking about here when something is a change that feels like everything all at once right like our title yeah. today this changes everything yeah of course we are like we're at an edge and yeah. we need to decide them but I also think we we could use this in everyday life what's your sense absolutely <laughs> um you know you and I have talked uh, in the book uh Kathleen Singh's book The Grace and Dying she talks about something she calls the identity project mm. That the first part of our life, much of our life, is about forming a separate identity and becoming all of who we were meant to be. And human beings are supposed to do that. We're supposed to become that brilliant, unique aspect of the divine, so to speak, that we are. But the second half, and I think this is true for loss, for injury, for illness, um, it's about uh, needing to dismantle that identity project for what she calls the return, which is we build up all these layers of solidity and certainty, as you talked about. And in order to be open to the big universe, in order to be open to uh, the sacred, we have to take off some of that armoring. All that differentiation armors me against my sense of unity with the bigger whole. So, uh, and a terrible shock rips apart your identity project. You know, right. your husband dies, your kid is killed, you're dying, whatever it is. Mm. It rips apart your identity project. And what has to flood in and can be terrifying is all that empty space of uncertainty. Mm. And I think if it doesn't kill us in the stress of that loss and uncertainty, we are open to perceive what we were closed against before. Hmm. That sounds very esoteric. So I'm passing it back to you to see what your take is on what I said. You know, it's interesting because as I'm listening to you, I'm hearing some underlying assumptions that I think you and I share, but is not 
particularly mainstream, which is this idea of not just something happening to us, but how we relate to what it is, whether that's another person or a thing, we actually have some kind of sovereignty there. We can make our own decision about this, and I'll call it a relational field, right? Because we we yeah. know what this means, but the listeners might not. But, you know, this is very, you know, as coaches, this is something we talk about a lot, you know, in terms of what's happening in the space in between you and I here in this conversation. And I know that yesterday when we were talking about recording this podcast, we were talking about the fact that we would also make space for kind of, you know, the the ground of being to come in, the source, whatever, whatever people want to call that God or collective unconscious, whatever, but to allow this truly emergent conversation to emerge here, which I really feel in this moment right now with you. And that is, for me, <laughs> it's my favorite word, lovely, right? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. But it's an interesting thing, isn't it? Because in mainstream culture, you know, and particularly in business and organizational leadership life, we don't talk about the invisible. Yet so often for me, this is exactly what's running the show. Yes. Yeah. Right. <laughs> the, emer- the emergent, you know, and by yes. the way, you know, uh, things like pandemics, you know, or wars, these are things that happen to us that we are thrown into, you know, as Viktor Frankl talks about. And then all we have that we can decide is how to be with mm-hmm. that which is, um, uh, whether, whether pleasant or not. And that's what creates character. It's how we decide to be with that which we cannot escape in some way. Right, right. And when you said that, Faith, it sounded so simple, didn't it? You know, like how to be with what is. Yeah. (laughs) It's just a few words. And I can tell you that sentence is something I've been grappling with, I think, for most of my life. I don't know about you. (laughs) You know, I I think it it has been a lifelong project, no question about it. Um, And also it runs counter, frankly, to the coaching world. Mm. Coaching is all about um, internal locus of control. I can shape my life. I decide, you know, who I will be or how I will be in this moment. That's a very pro-coaching stance. And um, coaching, I think, the being is when when something is happening to you instead of you're doing something to the world, but it's happening to you and you have to surrender. That's a being state, not so much of a doing state. And I don't think we're so good at teaching that, you know, at at coaching. But I got to tell you, one, the day that I sort of remember that being with what is includes my being with my times when I'm saying, fuck what is, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to be with what is, <laughs> you know, I won't be with what is, I'm not going to be gracious about this. That is being with what is, <laughs> you know, right. true in that moment. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I hope you don't mind me asking. I, I want to ask what is it like to be you right now in this moment? Like, how are you choosing to be with what is? That's a great question. I am choosing to let go of so much external frame, all the busyness, you know, the web podcasts and 
conversations and coaching clients and books and things that I'm doing. Um, because if I can be more receptive, um, being with what is means listening, just listening, listening to how am I feeling today and just listening, not judging, listening for what, uh, what's my state of mind, what's my body, what is my family in around this whole topic today. Um, being open to the palm tree right outside my window in the light, uh, opening to receive rather than to um, go out into the world and do. Mm -hmm. And I've been a doer my whole life, and I'm, I'm a big fan of doing. But it's like I'm getting to have an in-breath, not just an out-breath, if that makes sense. Oh, it does. <laughs> it does. And it feels kind of peaceful as you're talking. It kind of yeah. feels like there's a, I'm going to say flow because it still feels like movement. It doesn't feel like rigidity or static or I must do this or I must be present or I can't bear to miss any moment, which I've I've actually heard some people you know, kind of give voice to in, in a similar yeah. situation to yourself. It's more like a nice, easy kind of wave, like a flow, like, but there's some movement still there, which is interesting to me, Faith. I don't know why. Maybe I didn't expect that. I don't know. But there's an ease and a grace that you're giving voice to. That's a beautiful way of putting it. I would say if I used a metaphor that my whole life I've been rowing that boat right. and been good at it. And I'm much more just shipped to the oars, flowing down the river. You know, it's not that I don't steer some, I certainly do, but I'm not struggling for a direction. I am mm -hmm. open and receptive to where the boat wants to go versus where my will wants it to go. Um, so there, that's a pretty big change for a big deal doer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it also involves a new kind of trust. Frankly, I've always been somebody who, who feels like, uh, you know, there's no free lunches. You get ahead in life by working hard and, you know, developing yourself and there's a self, there's an identity project and a self-development project and a spiritual development project and a, you know, <laughs> And it's like right now, um, I don't that I know my my body knows how to die uh, physically, but also psychologically and spiritually. It's a natural path, hmm. a lot like birth, I think, you know, hmm. so there may be plenty of screaming and yelling, you know, when you're in transition and you're having a baby, there's plenty of screaming <laughs> and yelling, but the, your body knows what to do. You just don't like what's happening. Right. And there, I may do plenty of screaming and yelling, you know, in the labor of dying. I hope not, but it could happen. But it's a natural process if I can not screw it all up uh, with too much structure and just let go. Just all you got to do is let go. Mm -hmm. Sounds and so I easy. 
Well, <laughs> but you make it sound so easy. And as you're speaking, you see, I'm reflecting back on my own sense of relationship with death when it was very alive for me. And because of the amount of pain I was in, for me, it was a very rigid space. I, I could feel my musculature contracting, like yeah. I kind of was in bed and couldn't really move around. And it, I, I literally psychologically also felt contracted around the pain to the extent that I didn't know if Jane existed outside of the pain, right? And I and I remember this moment, um, and I'm going to share it, but it's kind of a bit daft. Which is, I remember thinking, like, is there any part of me left that's not in pain? And my left cheek was not in pain, so I decided I was going to live from my left cheek. Because if I could make decisions from that place, then I wasn't creating all this energy and expectation from illness. Now, yes. and and I'm hearing a very different relationship from you. Like with, because it was almost like I was still, I don't know. I don't think I came to terms with my death fully, but I know I didn't because I'm still in that process now. And reading Kathleen's book is taking me back there. And I know there's some confrontations for me to have there. But you sound so kind of okay with just even talking about and knowing and confronting the reality that is, you know, your death is on its way, kind of, which it is for all of us, you know, to be fair. But we don't have these conversations, like you said, right at the very beginning. So could you give me yeah. any insights into your relationship with your demise, with your death? You know, how is that for you? Well, what's interesting for me about it is I so far have been fortunate in that I haven't had a lot of fear. Now, I don't mm. know why, you know. Uh, but I think it's harder when you're afraid, either afraid for your children or, you know, afraid for your precious whatever that you're suddenly unexpectedly having to let go of. I've had the, the uh, privilege of a full, rich life. Yeah. I don't have a lot of things where I feel like, oh, God, if only I had, you know. Right. I don't have that. I, do I have some regrets? You bet. Oh, you know, I wish I didn't have to do I Yes. But I don't feel bitterness about anything. And I don't feel like my life was unfulfilled in some profound way. And I'm just lucky. Okay, let me just say that. I'm just lucky that way. And I have a strong um, curiosity. Curiosity is another way to go. It's like, how is all this going to work? You know, right. how does the, the cancer work? And what's the cancer is me, but it isn't me. And, you know, and how do these drugs? I mean, the whole thing is miraculous. Your your life is a miracle, but you sometimes don't realize that till you're dying. <laughs> you know? So I'm surrounded by a sense of wonder. Uh, mm. That doesn't mean I'm not sad. I have bouts of grief. I, mm. I've noticed just grief of letting go of the beauty of something it, it's more like the poignancy of something beautiful that you have to leave mm. um 
and uh, or often it's a piercing sense of the beauty of something that you know I might have tears just from some stupid like you know dew on a leaf can get to me you know something <laughs> pierces the the identity project enough to join with me to partner with me in that moment mm -hmm. in a way that's very beautiful um and i have a lot of meditation practice that helps yeah there's no yeah. question yeah but i'm also i was born with a sunny nature and an optimistic character and you know what between you and me i you know that's in my next lifetime if i get to choose i want that sunny character more than i want a high iq having an easygoing <laughs> cheerful nature is worth you know 20 points of iq really <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh, I love that faith. I do. I really do. Um, and what's interesting here is, you know, in a way we're talking about the ultimate transition, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, in many ancient traditions and religions, we talk about the fact that, you know, there's only one certainty in life and that is death, right? Yes. However, we don't talk about it, particularly in our culture, you know, here in the US and, and in the West, I think I could say sweeping generalization there. It's not something that we celebrate as some other cultures do, right? And, right, so it's the ultimate in terms of a change that changes everything. Yeah. And as we talked about at the beginning, you know, we all go through, I suppose, necessary endings during our yeah. life, right? There yeah. are other things that I think we can learn from the final journey, you know, yeah. and, and apply to this. I mean, when I speak to that, what bubbles up for you? You know, is there anything you could share to help our listeners, not just at the end of their life, but with any necessary loss or grief or endings that they're having to navigate themselves? Maybe some of them are doing that now. I love that, Jane. What I hear you saying is in some ways, every change is a death and mm -hmm. possible rebirth. Yeah. Every change, you know, changing your job. It's what we call a myth change. In, in, or you have to grieve something that's past. And if you don't grieve what was, it's very hard to move on with fluidity to the next thing. We are dying and being reborn all our lives. And at this point in my life, I no longer... You know, we're so hung up on death. And except for, you know, religions, which usually have a script about what happens after death, um, uh, I don't think most of us have that sense of certainty that there is something. Mm -hmm. And I don't have a specific religious belief. But I do strongly feel that just like there's a death and then something new everywhere else in my life, you know, I'd be very surprised if death were the end. I suspect death is the end and there's a transformation and then something else. I don't know what the something else is, but I no longer feel these definitive life, death, black, white. It's a mm. uh, continuum. And start now, guys. Start recognizing a death uh, of a particular time in your life. Could be, you know, something small, you know, a, a house. Uh, or it could be a divorce or a death of somebody else, or there are deaths and rebirths all the time. Let's practice now how to honor what came before, not leave it behind, honor it, integrate it, take it with us and move on. 
So I think that's the best practice for dining is getting much more fluid and confident. Um, that generally speaking, there's another chapter. Uh, and I think that's going to be true uh, of death as well. In fact, I'm gonna tell you a funny thing that happened to me. I was, I was at one of my sort of mopey days and God knows I had them. I was moping about something about dying. And I got this clear as a bell little voice in my head that said in a very irritated but affectionate way, I said, oh, please, you're just gonna be redeployed. <laughs> getting voices in my head no but <laughs> oh please you're just gonna be redeployed get over yourself <laughs> but if we really believe that you're just gonna I mean now I feel like well screw that I want to negotiate for a vacation first <laughs> I want a vacation before I'm redeployed <laughs> I don't know what that means you know but it's just what came through <laughs> You know, it reminds me, I was recently reading a book by John O'Donoghue, the Celtic uh, priest, oh, uh, right? And it's called Divine Beauty. And on the first page, he talks about that we live between the polarities of awakening and surrender in every day, because every morning as we awaken to the light, right, the new dawn of a new day, yeah. then we have the opportunity and the choice to redefine ourselves, our behaviors, like everything within that day and kind of flow into whatever the day has in store for us, which I also hear in the way you're talking. And then, of course, at night, we must surrender to the darkness with no certainty that we'll ever wake up the next morning. And he talked about it as being, this is the divine beauty of life, is this constant every 24-hour period we're awakening and we're surrendering, awakening to the light, surrendering to the darkness in practice for the ultimate ending. And I was like, and he, he writes so beautifully as well. I was just like, I've never thought about life in that way. And yet here we are. And I know that, you know, Vedanta and Buddhism talk about death as, as the full surrender, yeah. right? And this letting go. And yet here we are having these potentially mini experiences every day. You know, I, first of all, I love Donahue. He's fabulous. Mm, yeah. But it also reminds me of a quote from, um, from I think it was Kurt Vonnegut who was dying mm. and he didn't believe in, uh, I think, anything particular happening. You know, it was sort of death was the end. Right. Somebody said, well, aren't you afraid, you know, then of dying? And he said, are you afraid when you go to sleep at night? Mm. You don't exist yeah. when you go to sleep at night. You're not there. Is that a horror for you? He said, what if it, the worst that happens is that we just go to sleep, you know, and it's not, we do that every night. It's not necessarily a horror. And I just was so struck by that. Even if nothing else happens, if just going to sleep, you know, most of us love going to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I do too. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah. I love all these ways of, of coming to terms and to grips with. Um, mm. 
But if death is absolutely certain, why can't we get better at it? I mean, seriously, it doesn't have to be. And I have come to believe to have a diagnosis and a time, even if it's going to be painful, which I don't look forward to, mm. is, a, is a blessing because I have time to work it through, to open up to it, to, to, to cry in sorrow over what I leave behind, to be precious with the things that I love. I'm given time. You know, I, I used to think, just let me get hit by a car and let's have it fast. I don't think that at all now. I think having the time to adjust, to see it coming, to create relationships, to uh, make peace with things is a huge blessing. Um, so I don't, just a change that has occurred for me because of where I am now. And that's an incredible insight faith because you know I remember my dad passed away last year and he always said he just wants a heart attack and just wants to go and actually that isn't what happened he had a cancer diagnosis and he was about eight months uh in in the dying process and resisting it really up until about the last maybe three or four days (laughs) when he finally broke down in tears and said I'm so sorry to me and and my sister, I'm so sorry that this is happening. And and that was when I started to feel with him where he was in relationship with his own death for the first time. And I felt the gift of that for all of us. Exactly. we, We all had the time to say things that were unspoken, share love and compassion and just be with him in that pain. And His opening provided yeah. an opening for all of you, you know, yeah. for all of you to be in the present with that. Very mm-hmm. profound and sacred. Very sacred. Yes. And and this, you know, I'm glad you brought that word in because this brings me back to like life in a way, which is that, you know, for me, if if we can bring the sacred back, like we're talking about here you know, where we're broken open and it just kind of is inevitable in a way if we allow it in. Why can't we do that in everyday life? Like, no. Why can't we no. reclaim the sacred? Life is sacred. It is. Isn't it? All, all of it, <laughs> even the shitty bits. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. 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 Well, I just want to add in one more thing. Yeah because I've had to work with this, not with myself, but with others. And that is something that um, a fellow colleague of mine called the tyranny of the good death. And I just want to mention it because it's so important to think about. I think progressives like you and myself have a a almost romantic um, affinity for death as something that can be beautiful, evolutionary, et cetera. But what that can lead to is a sense of judgment about people who don't. Right. And my brother did not have, uh, a, you know, a graceful death. He fought it, screamed, cried a bit like your dad, only it was all the way to the very end. Uh, and uh, and when he died, my sister-in-law and my nieces put on Frank Sinatra's I did it my way and cleaned the house because right. that was my brother's, you know, right relationship with death wouldn't be mine but it was his way and people need to find what's their way of dying and it isn't always pretty you know you have to watch for judgment 
you should be dying this way. If you were enlightened, you would die that way. (laughs) Yeah. And thank you for giving voice to that, because I think that's so important that, you know, we all have choice in this. And and sometimes we don't feel we have choice at all. We feel it's pressed upon us. And, you know, and in a way for me, this is, you know, the the gift for us to find that if we can just be curious, maybe we can find something where we're okay with it. Yes. Maybe not. It's maybe it's not a gift, but maybe it's just what is. Exactly, and yeah. what is can change, like it did with yeah. your father. It doesn't yeah. have to change. It's not that it should change, but sometimes it does. But isn't that what our title is all about? Because for me, this changes everything. I actually found myself saying to a client yesterday <laughs> that uh, she was going through something. There's a lot of resistance coming up, and. I, I, I kind of stopped her in her narrative story and said, at the end of the day, you can allow life to change you or you can keep those walls up, that armor on, and you can keep resisting. Yes. Right? You it is your choice. choice. Yes. And isn't that what our title's about? Like this changes everything. It could be everything for a deepening uh, and an opening of a change for you yes. or it could be the minimal amount because you're resisting and not wanting to step into relationship yes. with the change and resistance um may be the path for you sometimes right you absolutely maybe the path yeah uh, rather than something you have to get over right away sometimes we all know boundaries no are extremely useful sometimes. So yeah, yes, and yes, and yes uh, to what you are and saying. And sometimes, and we had this conversation yesterday, my head wants something, my heart wants something else, and my body wants something else. I, so <laughs> I talked about being on a recent plant medicine retreat with you yeah, and yeah. how I was vomiting like massively for like, we're not talking about hours here, people. We're talking about days. Okay. And I, I, it took that amount of pain for me to realize this was my body resisting where my heart and my soul wanted me to go, right? And it took that much. I had that much resistance, Faith. I had to be that ill. And sometimes I look back on my terminal diagnosis in the early 2000s and think I was off my path. I was off my Tao and and the universe needed to bring me back. And I was so resistant. They had to take me completely out of life (laughs) for me to wake up. Powerful. That's so powerful, Jane. You know, and and I love the way that, and you were able with uh, support to get all the way through, you know, and, you know, and to find the place on the other side. And that's pretty profound as well. What did it take for you to go all the way through? Because I love the way you said my soul and my heart wanted one thing, my body said another. What did allow you to get through? um, Honestly, my life led the way and I allowed it 
So the minute I stopped fighting the illness, the minute I stopped the internal dialogue that is, I don't want to be ill. I want my life back. I don't want to be on morphine. I don't want to be doing this. Like, where is my life again? Like, I want to go back to work. Where am I? Like, I want to do the things I want to do. All of that, when that, when I went to my left cheek and just found the relaxation and I surrendered and I was almost at the end of my tether with the pain and was like, okay and I said f it right (laughs) I'm not going to say the word out loud because we'll get taken off the platforms but um yeah when I was like okay f it right I'm done whatever this is going to be is going to be and I surrendered completely into the presence and allowed my life to show me the way one of the big turning points for me was my son. So uh, every Saturday morning, my husband used to take me in a wheelchair with my son, who was only about 18 months at the time on my lap, to a bookstore. And he he used to love the Thomas Tank Engine books. And apparently I wasn't really there. I wasn't very conscious, but he'd sit, uh, my husband would sit my Jacob on my lap and we'd open and read through the books. And then he'd pick a book to take home. And this day, He normally picked a Thomas Tank Engine book, but this day he wanted the Rainbow Book because it was for mummy. And it was, according to Nick, I don't really remember, but according to Nick, there was like a promotion on by the cash register. And it was Louise Hayes, You Can Heal Your Life. And this was back like when she'd first published it during the AIDS pandemic. And and so the first cover that came into the UK, Nick bought it. Now, I'd like to say, you know, it was all hallelujah from there on. It wasn't. It's out on my nightstand for a bit until Jacob used to come into my bed when usually I was asleep. But this night I wasn't. And he used to bring his book for his bedtime story with daddy would read it because mommy was usually unconscious. And then um, I was awake this day and he said, no, we're not reading like Thomas Tank Engine tonight. We need to read the Rainbow Book. So Nick started reading the Rainbow Book to me. And somewhere that kind of penetrated, but I, like if anybody's in this space right now, I want you to know it was not easy. And when you said to me, you went all the way through, I don't believe that to this day, right? What do you believe? For now. Uh, Right now, now, I'm okay. Tomorrow, I don't know. And that's okay. But when I check in with my body right now, I'm okay. Um, And what I've noticed is even when I have really bad pain, if I check in with my body and don't just go into the fear of what this means and what this is going to lead to. And because my biggest fear is going back there, right? Because I was bedridden for four years and had 24 hour carers and in a wheelchair and all of that. That's my biggest fear is going back there. So when I get pain, I can easily jump into the fear of what this means for the future. If I can just stay with the pain, I can go, yeah, I've got pain Mm -hmm. and I'm okay. Yes. But it takes me coming into the present to be with that. So what I've learned is, I don't know, just like every single person listening here doesn't know. So to pierce the illusion of I think I'm okay and my death hopefully is in my 70s or 80s is just an illusion. I don't know. So right now is when I have to live. Yes. So am I healed? No. 
Am I managing the conditions? Yes. Yes. Am I pain free right now? Yes. yes. <laughs> right. That's all I feel I can say. Does yes. that make sense? And that's Faith? a lot. And yes, and that's a lot. And it is a safe place to stand. Yeah. Right now. <laughs> it is. And I feel, don't get me wrong, I feel the tugs to certainty that, you know, it's been 20 years. Of course, of course I'm okay. I know. I know. Right? I yes. feel that. And yet, there's just something that pulls me back because it's not true. For me, anyway, it's not true. So I do want to ask you, when you think about what you're going through right now personally, are there any threads that bring this experience into your profession and the work you've been doing so incredibly well, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. It's like, what are, the, what, are the, what are the threads there to your professional life? Oh, thank you for asking. Um, you know, I realized for those of us that are doers, uh, there is a need, there was a need for me when I got my diagnosis last year to what I would call bring it onto the path, you know, mm. bring it onto my spiritual path, but also bring it into my professional path to integrate it. So uh, we did with Katie Churchman in the Relationship Matters um, a podcast, we did a, a, a small special section that was called uh, Conversations on Cancer, Conversations on Cancer. And it's six episodes with six people with varying conditions uh, of different kinds of cancer. And they're, um, it's really a, in the same way about people who have found cancer to be a remarkable journey for them. And it deals in all kinds of things, like a woman who had a, a beautiful young woman who had a double mastectomy and dealing with her femininity, what did it mean to be a woman and coping with her scars, to men with prostate issues, to a woman actively dying, you know, so there's a many different viewpoints on how they took what was happening and used that as a path for their own evolution. So that's the main way in which I have threaded it into my professional life. Mm -hmm. And I have a book on the way called Relationship Matters, but it talks about change, but not so much about death. Mm, okay. So I love that. And I do wonder from this stance, this place where you are now in your life, when you look back, right, what difference do you believe was yours to make in this lifetime, Faith? This relationship has been all about, well, I might excuse me, it's, it's interesting, <laughs> this life has been all about relationship for me. And I believe it is the most profound principle of the universe. Everything depends on relationship, whether it's molecules coming together or the galaxy swirling around in, in gravity. Systemic relationship is everywhere and it's the basis of life. And I think getting that across to people to understand the bigger scope of what relationship means to themselves to their partners, to the bigger world, is the basis of the next evolution for humanity. We don't need more tech and science, or, well, of course we do, but what we really need is to know how to get along with others and with our planet. So I think my gift has been to invite others into seeing the profundity of relationship uh, in their lives and in living a healthy uh, 
life on this planet. I just want to take a moment and honor that because I know your body of work is so rich and for everybody listening, all the links are in the show notes, but uh, yeah, what a profound legacy to leave behind. Now I'm feeling what a, prop- what a gift it was to get it. <laughs> to well, I'm feeling prompted to ask this next question. And it's just simply this. What remains unspoken, Faith? The changes that you go through, bringing it back to change, the changes that you go through in your life are uniquely designed to evolve you psychologically and spiritually and socially. Even the ones that feel so devastating that you can't imagine recovering from, they have something to offer you. So don't be so afraid of the things that come up, the deaths, the illnesses, the bankruptcies, the you know, uh, pandemics. They all bring a gift as well. It just sometimes takes us a lifetime to know what that gift is. But you can trust life to be bringing you what you need to evolve as a person. Wow. <laughs> Thank you, my friend. My pleasure. Okay, guys, that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much for listening in. Before we go, I want to remind you that all the resources and the links for our guests are in the show notes at sacredchangemakers.com. A big thank you to the members of the Sacred Changemakers Inner Circle, who are our podcast sponsors and also our extended community, who are helping us make a global impact aligned with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, all visible on our website. And if you're looking for more soul in your life and business, if you have a sense that you have a calling, maybe you're here to make a bigger impact or simply connect with others on your change-making journey. If our episode resonated with you today, I hope you'll consider joining us. Again, you can find out more at sacredchangemakers.com. But for now, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your intention and efforts to make our world a better place. Until next time. Lots of love.